Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey folks, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio. My name is Brian. With me tonight are my friends Chris McShane and Steve Saipa. Steve is our minor league guru over at Amazing Avenue, and uh, he is going to help us to better understand sort of the Mets minor league system. And then after that, we're going to talk about uh, some recent news involving the Mets payroll and talk about today's Hall of Fame announcement. So, um, Steve, I guess we'll start with you. Let's talk about this system just sort of as a whole first. So obviously, uh, if you pay attention to these sorts of things, you know that the Mets system is not tops in baseball, probably not top half in baseball. Where do you think the system ranks overall in terms of uh, the systems out there? It's definitely a bottom third system, maybe you know, somewhere between 25 and 30, maybe you know 23 and 30, but it's, it's in the bottom half. I mean, bottom of third, excuse me. Is this a is is that a function of having graduated their top tier of prospects and not really replaced them yet, or is is the problem deeper than that? It's a little bit of both. I mean, when you have a system that graduates your number, basically all of the top prospects from last year and the year before are more or less have been sent up to the major leagues. When you lose. Ahmed Rosario, you lose Dom Smith, you lose Nemo. A couple of years ago, there was Syndergaard. You know, a bunch of guys that would be number one prospects or in the very, very highly rated are in the major league, and that's a good thing. But for just ranking-wise, that's not good because now the system looks a lot worse because of it. Is this a uh, Is this a problem that's going to be addressed by future trades and drafts or is this a problem that in a couple of years when some of the more recent draft choices start to mature the system will sort of naturally fix itself to a certain degree i mean based on the market last season uh when they traded a couple of veterans and they really didn't get back much um you know some of those players did rank in our top 25 
in a stronger system, they might not have. So if the market next season is anything like it is like it was last season, I don't really see them bolstering the farm via that way. But the Mets do have a very good draft pick next year. And there are a lot of guys that are already in the system that either they are healthy and they have a decent season or they just kind of age a bit and they have a decent season or they just kind of come out of nowhere and blow everyone away with a really good season. Things like that really are going to be the biggest ways to improve the system next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know I, I'm not quite speaking for Chris here, but I think both Chris and I, you know, we try and stay abreast of the minor league stuff, but that's not where a lot of our attention tends to go. So um, I guess a good place to sort of start the conversation about individual players is uh, who who would well let, let, let's sort of go through the top five. Who were who were five through one on on our list this year? Uh, Andres Jimenez was number one. David Peterson was number two. Desmond Lindsay was number three, Chris Flexen was number four, and Mark Vientos was number five. Of those five, which do you think Mets fans, and obviously the easy answer is number one, but uh, but which do you think the Mets fans are going to be most excited, or, or should be most excited to see uh, progress this year and possibly, you know, see some time on the Major League team in the next couple seasons? Uh, realistically, it'll probably be Chris Flexen because he was already in on the major. He already made his major league debut last year, and he was really within a couple of innings of losing his rookie eligibility to begin with. So he's definitely going to get some major league time next season. In terms of a guy that's going to still be in the minors, um, Desmond Lindsay is a guy. He has a lot of tools, but he just really has a, a inability to stay healthy. And if he's a guy that is able to stay healthy next year, um, I think our ranking was a little aggressive of him at number three, but he's a guy that could theoretically be competing uh, with Jimenez for number one next season if he has a good year and he stays healthy. That would be a nice bonus, you know, just being that they got him where they did, you know? Um, not, Not that good players don't come from that deep in the draft, but... In a draft that was, <laughs> um, I guess, perceived negatively going in, it would be nice to get somebody on that level out of it, I think. Right. Lindsay really has, I would say, you know, quote-unquote first-round talent, but he fell to the second round where he did. I think the Mets picked him at 53 or something like that off the top of my head. But they picked him there. They were able to get him because in high school he had some hamstring injuries. And that's a, a trend that's basically continued his entire career with the Mets. So it's a little scary since a lot of what he does, his fielding and some extra base power is based on his legs. But, um, you know, we'll take the good with the bad, obviously, and hopefully he'll be able to get past that next year. How old is Lindsay Dale? Uh, 22? Let's see, let me click here. He is 20, excuse me. Okay, wow. So he's born. Yeah, that's uh... <laughs> January first, nineteen ninety-seven. Uh, January fifteenth, ninety-seven. Jeez, we are old. Yeah, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he, you know, he he's a guy. Um, he, I think he looks a little bit older than he is. I think that might, I don't know, factor into you know when you say twenty-two. No, that's not old by any means. But he he looks a little more mature 
um, the 20. Uh, and yeah, that's, he, you know, that's not a bad thing. Just He's definitely very physically uh, developed. He's only listed at 5'11". I don't know how correct that is. But I remember when I saw him in Brooklyn, he was like, he was he was huge. I mean, he did, he was a lot bigger, not in terms of in, not in terms of height, but just in time, terms of overall size and musculature Bills. and whatever yeah. else than pretty much everybody else on that team, especially yeah, think, his legs. I mean, obviously, it's possible that somebody who's twenty is still growing a little bit in terms of height, um, but that five eleven sounds accurate. I would say. Um, Going back to, I wasn't at spring training last year, but two years ago he was there. And, uh, you know, he was, that, that that sounds reasonable based on being there. What's always amazing to me about players of, of about his age and experience level is that you're still playing with people who, who like, you, like Chris said, you're still sort of growing, or at least you're growing into your physique. And so sometimes there's one guy on a team who looks like a dad playing with a bunch of kids, you know? <laughs> and uh, you only get that at, at sort of the lower levels of the minors. By the time you get to double A or so, you know, it's you don't really see that anymore. But I remember being at Brooklyn uh, when Matt Harvey was there. And that guy looked like everyone's uncle on the team. <laughs> you know, it just, I mean, uh, you know, it was just, it was, uh, it was hilarious. Um, but yeah. Is there anybody else that you think um, from that top five might be an impact player for the Mets? Uh, there's Mark Vientos. He is he was drafted last year, our second round prospect. He's still extremely young. He's only 18. He just turned 18 in um, December. So he was a 17-year-old for the season last year. He did decently, and he's a guy that yeah, during draft day, he got comparisons to Manny Machado. That's always it's always good to be compared to you know, one of the best plays <laughs> in baseball. Yeah, <laughs> obviously he's he's very young, so the odds that he becomes Manny Machado are very very slim. You never know though. You never know. But he's a guy that um, he's six four, one hundred ninety pounds, so he should add some power. He has a, a decent swing. It's a little long sometimes, but again, he's still so young. There's a lot of stuff that he could work on to make everything better. And really, the sky is the limit with him. See, it's, it's interesting. You, you talk about a guy like that, it's hard as a fan to not get excited. But I keep reminding myself that in any other, not any other, in most other systems, he probably wouldn't be a top 10 prospect yet because he is just so young and raw. So it's not that the That's- Mets don't have players that are that are good. It's just that there's... There's a big gap between where he would be in a stronger system and where he is here. Is that correct? Absolutely. I used to have, you know, an unofficial rule. You know, I've been doing this for a couple of years on Amazing Avenue now, and I've used to have an unofficial rule that I really did. I would never put a guy in the top ten that was not even in higher yet. And even if a guy was on the top twenty-five in the back part, I would still kind of be a little hesitant if he didn't have full season experience. And really, this year it's just kind of <laughs> that guy just got thrown out the window because it's not looking good. Well, yeah, I think Brian was sort of getting at the same thing that I was just thinking. Um, you know, you, they're in a spot where ideally you would not want to have kind of this lull that they're in, but it certainly feels like, um, you know, based on everything that you've said, Steve, along with 
the other guys, uh, you know, Greg and Lucas, who contributed to to making this list, um, and stuff just from you know from other places that you have. I refuse to acknowledge other places, by the way. It's Mason, uh, yeah. Mason Avenue or bust. <laughs> <laughs> but you have, uh, you, you know, you have the guys who graduated that Brian mentioned, and then it, you know, so many of the guys that are more exciting uh, in the system right now are far away. And that's, you know, I think um, that that shouldn't be, I don't think, con- conceived, it's not conceived, construed <laughs> is the word I was looking for there. Uh, it's not so much a defense of their system, but there's, they're kind of in this weird spot where you'd really like them to have a couple of guys who looked like they could make it, you know, this year. When you, when you go and you get like a Michael Conforto, and he makes that jump quickly and extremely successfully, um, you know, that removes him from being your number one prospect. Uh, so that, like you said earlier, that's great. <clears throat> it's just, I think there's so much focus on potentially major league ready prospects because the team is not, you know, willing to spend. And I, we'll, we'll get to that in a little more detail. <laughs> oh, yes, but, we will. <laughs> But I think that's why it feels the way it does right now. You know, there's not, there's nobody here. I mean, maybe Chris Flexen breaks out, and I have a lot of doubts about the starting pitching this year. Um, if he could do that, that would be huge. And breaking out doesn't mean he has to be, you know, a Syndergaard. Um, but just solid, you know, four or five starter in the big leagues would be a breakout, in my opinion. Yeah, looking at the list, there really is only a handful of guys that we could reasonably, I guess, expect to have some major league time next year. Flexen, I think he'll definitely see some major league time. Peter Alonso could. He's number seven on our list. He could get a cup of coffee at the end of the year. Tomas Nito, same thing. But, you know, with Darno and Ploiecki, you know, his decent backstops, his uh, presence on the roster is a little harder to justify. Number 10, Guillaume, uh, he could get some time at the end of the year. Um, who else is there here? And that is really it. Uh, 24, <laughs> Drew Smith. Um, again, as a reliever, you know, he as a, a reliever at the upper levels. Uh, same thing with, uh, I skipped over him, uh, Ty Bashler and Adonis Uceta. Those guys are, in a better system, probably aren't ranked because... They're relievers, even though they have decent upside. But I also have a bias against relievers. <laughs> but those are also guys that could see some major league time next year and have hopefully a positive impact. It's it's got to be really frustrating for uh, for someone who who's who's doing lists like this, Steve. Because on one hand, you want to represent the system accurately. On the other hand, when you're writing about 25 players, you don't want to just be like. He's a reliever with some upside <laughs> because that that's all that there is for some of these players. You know, they're they're not exactly lighting the world on fire. So so how much goes into finding like I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is how do you keep how do you keep some of these players without a maybe a, a super definable skill or a super exciting uh, pedigree? How do you keep them straight in your mind, and then how do you get us excited about these players? <laughs> well, getting them excited is is a very different beast. Um, 
I mean, should we be excited? It, I guess that's a different question. I guess given where the given the amount of prospects that have graduated, should people be really down on the system, or should is are they in an understandable lull? I guess is my first question. Uh, both. I think because it's, they graduated so many people, there should be an expected lull because really there are no systems out there that can graduate so many upper level players in the span of you know, years, two years, whatever, and still be a very competitive and highly ranked system. That said, you know, you need to you need to give it some chance to restock and there are a bunch of guys that are, you know, not necessarily on our top twenty five, but there are a bunch of guys that are on, you know, the our I called it our uh noteworthy players. There's a lot of guys that are in that kind of amorphous area that they could take a step forward and, and propel themselves up into the top 25. And some of those guys have pretty serious upside. If you were a gambling man and you wanted to put uh, one of those sort of notable players on our listeners' radar for next season as a potential breakout guy, who would, who would, you, uh, who would you encourage them to look out for? Uh, well, for someone that wasn't on our list at all, I'm going to go with Cameron Plank, who was a draft pick from last season. He didn't pitch, and he was going to be assigned to Kingsport. Excuse me. He was drafted in 2016. He was going to pitch last season. He didn't. He had a shoulder injury. So uh, next season should be his his first year. He was he was the guy that the Mets used the money that they saved when Anthony Kay's medical came back as uh, looking bad. And they used that excess money to sign Plank. Uh, he was drafted in the 11th round or the 12th round. I forget off the top of my head. But basically, they were gonna. They had a, a pre-draft arrangement to give him basically monies if he was like a third or fourth round pick, which is about five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars, whatever it was. And he rejected that. And with the extra money they saved from Kay's bad medical. They gave him like a thousand and one dollars. I don't know why that extra one, what it means, but <laughs> uh, I mean a million and one dollars, excuse me. So he's a guy. He was really one of. He was probably the best pitcher in the entire state of Kentucky, which is I don't know. It's saying something, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he's he has a good body. Let's see. He's he's six three two twenty five. So that's a good physical body for a pitcher. His fastball is in the low 90s. It's gone as high as about 95, 96. They're probably not going to add too much to that because he already is pretty well-developed as it is. But really, it would be his off-speed stuff that would get better. And right now, his slider flashes you know, a little average or better. And he has a, a decent change-up that he kind of has a good feel for. So if he's healthy and is not, and he doesn't really have any... Lingering issues from the shoulder problem that kept him out of the season last year. He's a guy that could jump up into our top 25 pretty quick and pretty high, possibly. What about somebody from the offensive side of the game? Um, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot <laughs> worse. <laughs> the, the Mets have, you know, a they're known, I guess, for developing uh, pitchers and. I would say a good majority of our list are pitchers. But um, there's obviously uh, guys that have upside, and as 
position players, and one of them would be Ronnie Mauricio, who is uh, their number one international pick from this past season. Uh, he, they gave him $2.1 million, which is the highest that they ever gave a player. And he's basically um, he's a well-regarded shortstop from the Dominican Republic. And he was universally, I guess, considered one of the top talents available because he, he has a good body. He's 6'2", 165, so he's going to add some muscle. He has a, a, a good swing. Uh, he, he could hit for some contact ability. And he, he because of his body, they think that he'll add some power. And he definitely, well, you never, you should never say definitely, but he has all of the skills to stay at shortstop. So if you can get a switch hitting shortstop that has the ability for to hit for average and for power, that's that's pretty nice. Absolutely. A lot of a lot of different uh, online publications and websites added Mauricio into their top twenty five list for this season. Um, I personally did not on my list and i'm not sure off the top of my head if either greg or lucas did but he was just signed and he did not have any professional experience playing this year so i feel even with a down system as the mets i would feel it's odd to put a guy who's never even stepped on the field yet in any kind of professional capacity in you know any any top 25 let alone kind of near the top which a lot of places did have him as I said, I recognize no other publications, so you're safe. True, true, true. You're safe there. Um, <laughs> is there a, is there anybody that, like looking back on the la, you know the list from last year or two years ago, is there a prospect that's really lost his luster for you? That you have um, high hopes for that now you know the bloom is off that rose. Uh, two guys. One one player is Marcos Molina. He's a pitcher. He had Tommy John surgery, and he just came back from it last year. And at before the Tommy John, he was really well-regarded. Um, and since coming back, he just wasn't right. His fastball velocity, which used to be kind of low to mid-90s or so, it was really backing up throughout the year. Uh, I know that our uh, former friend here at Amazing Avenue, Jeff Paternostro, saw him and his fastball velocity was backing up into like the mid to high 80s which is very bad so he could conceivably kind of have a bounce back season next year because it was his first year coming back from Tommy John and really the off speed stuff was decent it was just really the fastball that was the problem but it could also be that he is just toast and one player that i think is toast at this point is Wilmer Becerra who was the Wild card add-in when Ari Dickey was traded to Toronto. And he's basically lost any and all value uh, that he had as a, as a prospect. He was, at the time when he was acquired, he was kind of seen as a, a, as a lottery ticket because he was very toolsy. But at this point, a couple of shoulder issues and a couple of swing changes later, he doesn't have much arm strength. He doesn't have much power. Um, you know, hitting for average is very BAPIP dependent, so you really can't count on that. And yeah, you know, it, it it looked he looked like a, a rising star at one point, but at this point, he's there's nothing really of value there. You heard it here first. The Mets lost that trade. I mean, when anytime <laughs> you lose Ari Dickey, you lose a trade. 
That is true. Uh, Chris, anything else to ask about the system before um, we move on to other topics? Well, I would say it, maybe it's just worth mentioning. Um, just quick hits for anybody who's listened but may have missed. Uh, and they shouldn't have. It's all up on the site. You can go find it. You can read more details there. But if somebody is pressed for time and they're only listening, um, just quick hits on the the one and two. Uh, Andres Jimenez, David Peterson. Um, you know, on a couple of the national lists, one of them made one, one made another. Um, so just, I guess, kind of quick thoughts on uh, those two guys since they are our top two. <laughs> Jimenez, um, he was very... Highly regarded in the 2015 to 2016 international free agent class. Um, the Mets signed them for a little above a million dollars. And he had a great season in the uh, DSL, the Dominican Summer League, in 2016. And the Mets were very aggressive with him last season because he impressed everybody with how mature he was. And instead of assigning him to the GCL or Kingsport or even Brooklyn, which would have been a kind of aggressive assignment they sent him to Colombia to start the year so he was 18 and he was playing against guys that were probably you know the average age i think was 23 22 23 so he had a good year um he held his own he had 265 346 349 which is more than holding your own against uh you know guys that are years and years older than him he doesn't have uh the most sexy offensive upside um he is a guy, though, that pretty much all evaluators agree has all the play- tools to play at shortstop and should be able to stay at shortstop. Um, because he's so young, though, you know, you never know. He could stay a light hitter. Um, he could gain a lot of muscle and become a, a 15 home run kind of guy. But he could then possibly move off of shortstop because of that muscle. He could possibly add muscle and stay on shortstop. So... You never know. Optimally, he'll be able to stay at shortstop and he'll add some more muscle and maybe become kind of a Asdrubal Cabrera kind of 15 home run hitter with a decent average. But, you know, there's a lot of different uh, ends for him. David Peterson, he was drafted in the first round of last year's draft out of uh, the University of Oregon. To use uh, another major league kind of comparison, he reminds me a lot of Mark Burley. He's kind of a big guy. He's 6'6", 240. Um, His fastball, it's not the best fastball. It's about average for a left-hander. You know, it sits around 90. It gets a little, maxes out a little higher around 94. So it has a lot of movement, a lot of sync. And then he has a a better-than-average slider, and he has a better-than-average changeup. So comparing him to Burley again, he's probably more of a strikeout uh, pitcher than Burley ever was, but he's not going to get that crazy, crazy high ground ball rate that, that that Burley did. But you know what? Even if he could have half the career that Burley had, that's a pretty big success because Mark Burley was a pretty underrated pitcher, I think. A lot of what he did was kind of just longevity-based, but still, from I think he's one of the most valuable pitchers from like... 2005 to 20, 2015, whatever it was. So that's the status of, I guess, of our, our one and two guys. All right. That works. Yeah. Um, 
Chris, you want to you, you want to talk about the Wilpons for a bit here? Sure, I can. I can take the wheel. I, I think I'm a little too angry, so I'm, I'm hoping you can so, be a slightly so more you, moderate voice here. Sure, and I guess when I'm at a point of where I am right now, that's really a bad sign. I think I've been um, uh, among the more patient fans over the years when it's come to their finances. Um, you know, they... they uh, where do, you, where do you even start? So <laughs> uh, Mark Craig writes the, the great piece about them not addressing payroll, uh, you know, basically making the front office go through off seasons on a, on a player by player basis, not really having a, you know, an overall budget to work with. Um, so I guess the, the nicest thing I can say based on the, uh, the approach that they took was that the Mets, had their, uh, I think it's an annual luncheon with the beat writers, and they made Jeff Wilpon available, Sandy Alderson as well, to address some of this stuff. Um, you know, that in and of itself had not happened for a very long time, but... <laughs> we now know why it hasn't happened for a very long time. But. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's something that, you know, we, we know this about um, about this team's owners, uh, you know, going back to the the interview where Fred Wilpon, you know, the, the infamous not a superstar thing with David Wright, um, seems to be a family theme that, like, the player who loves the organization the most gets brought up as an excuse or thrown under the bus. I will never understand that. Um, but, yeah, they've they've had a habit of saying things that just come off as sounding bad and become memorable for all the all the wrong reasons so you know the the credit that you you give them for actually answering questions and saying something uh it was quickly minimized by all of what was said so yeah i don't know i don't know what the biggest sticking point is for me um well let's say this so so uh jeff wilpon Junior, as I like to call him, uh, he uh, he did say that you know he sh- he shared the fans' frustration with the payroll, which is a very um, shitty thing to say when you partially control the payroll. Uh, you know, it's like me saying to my kids, like, "Hey, I wish we could have more ice cream too," but you know, <laughs> someone's got to buy it. Uh, it's just it's, it's, it's just it's you know it's it's not cool. Um, but I think his comments about David Wright. As you alluded to, Chris, we're just beyond the pale here. Essentially, uh, the question was asked of, of why they have not been able to spend more on free agents because of the insurance they took out on David Wright's contract. And the answer essentially came down to, well, we're not going to reinvest that money just in case he gets healthy. But right, yeah. Actually, it wasn't even it wasn't even asked of him, right? Didn't he bring that up independently? Wasn't it? Weren't they asked about payroll, and he brought up right, uh, like without being prompted? I don't know for sure. Um, only because you know there have been various uh, between tweets and um, you know any, uh, actual stories. Um, I, I don't know if anybody presented specifically. 
whether or not that was asked. I was under the impression, like you are, um, that it wasn't. Uh, you know, that it was, well, the, the portion we're ho- on the hook for is still a lot of money. It's not. Uh, and <laughs> the, the premiums are really high on the policy. Um, you know, so people kind of across the baseball internet were pointing that out that <laughs> no other team ever brings up the cost of the insurance policy they have on anybody's contract. Uh, yeah. And it, to me, it's, it's particularly tone deaf. Uh, you know, because you go out and you, and you say, all right, I, uh, you know, I, I understand the feelings that fans have, their frustrations and everything. But Mr. Met, the captain of the team, you know, the guy who's working through more injuries than most people would ever try to work through to come back and play for you. Uh, you know, I think, that some portion of the fan base, you'd, uh, you'd have to be completely tuned out like i don't even listen to sports talk radio and i know that people call up and you know say i'm the fan that david wright's hurting the team and needs to retire right david wrong so they they there's no way they aren't aware of the fact that some segment i don't know what set you know what the percentage is but some segment of their fan base feels that way about david wright and then you go and say well, the premiums are really high, and we still have to pay them a lot of money. What, like, what does that accomplish? Other than knowing that he's like so loyal that he'll, he's, you know, I mean, privately he might be angry about that, but I don't, I don't get it. You're making yourself, the team, look bad, and you're just further damaging the reputation of a guy who uh, has been your best guy. That that is their specialty, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that is a good point. Think about this, though, guys, and tell me if I'm forgetting something. Aside from like his rookie season, when he inexp- when he was like hoodwinked into doing that like faith healer commercial, do you remember that? Uh-huh. Uh There was like the, there, apparently he was on the field for batting practice, and somebody came over and was like, "Hey, David, can you just read this like card for us?" And it was for some like weird faith healer thing. It's in that um, Adam Rubin book about the the like oh six Mets or whatever. Anyway, okay. As, aside from that, hmm. has he ever done anything to even slightly embarrass the organization? No, nope, no, not that I can think of. And we're talking like you know. Derek Jeter is considered like you know the god of New York baseball. Derek Jeter has had multiple instances where he's been like you know shitty to a reporter, where you know the gift basket thing came out, you know all these things that that were just you know not not major incidents. But David Wright's never had anything even approaching that. The guy has been perfect for your organization. He sold tickets when nobody had any damn right to go see a Mets game. He's been he. It's it is so unbelievable that they would look at this guy and say, "Nah, fuck him." Yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine those people. Yeah, <laughs> oh. but yeah, it's just so that that was the thing that stood out the most um, to me as well. But you know, and then you already said it, but the, <laughs> there was a reason why uh, they weren't speaking about this sort of stuff. They're just they're not good at it and you know you would think if you went into an event um 
knowing that you're going to break this silence of a long time, that you would have had some strategy about what you're going to say, you know, um, some sort of prep, almost like debate prep in a way that, you know, (laughs) somebody would have posed as a reporter and and tried to ask hard questions um, and you'd have some answers prepared for that. Um, But yeah, it didn't come off that way. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't know what, having them talk is a good thing, but, you know, realizing that everything you assumed was true is not... (laughs) Uh, they're like the good. Bluths without Michael. <laughs> there is no one. Yeah. There is no redeemable family member. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's um. I mean, you you know what you're getting. It's. I will say I understand why there are people who are outraged to the point that they're like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, boycott the team and try to convince other people to do the same. I get it. Uh, my attitude is a little more, you know, I'm not going to let the Wilpons uh, take away my enjoyment of baseball, and I'm not, you know, abandoning the team I'm a fan of. Uh, you know, maybe that's all a little naive of me, but in the world of sports, I think that's just sort of what makes sense. Uh, you know, other people might disagree, but, you know, it's going to be beautiful out in the summer a whole bunch of times and I'm going to go watch baseball. Like that's, that's not going to change, but there's definitely something frustrating about knowing that, you know, this is what we have. The most sensible boycott I've seen is somebody said they're only going to buy tickets on the secondary market. Yeah. And like the team still gets a cut of that, but that is, um, you know, it's, it's it's not anything near better, i guess <laughs> yeah and that, i mean they get a, i don't i don't know how the the inner workings of it i don't know if they get a percentage of each sale or if it's more just like they have a partnership with stubhub as the official reseller and stubhub pays them a bunch of money for it you know yeah um yeah i, <laughs> I i've been avoiding actually calling my ticket rep back um <laughs> because it, it and I've been extremely polite, I would say, uh, and it, you know, just made my points about why I'm not currently uh, planning to renew the, the ticket plan that I had the last couple of seasons. Um, and <laughs> after a certain point, and it was only like two emails, but he's like, "Hey, uh, love to talk about it on the phone instead of going back and forth with email," um, and you know. But in his email had brought up the starting pitching being great and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, that's one of the needs. That's one of the reasons why I'm not renewing. Um, so it's just uh, – and, you know, maybe it's just where my name is in the alphabet. Uh, that He was about halfway through making his calls. Uh, but, you know, we're <laughs> – we're talking about this i think the call the first call came on like an hour after the wilpon stuff was all tweeted out and i was just like (laughs) no no like but this is where they don't i i don't know how much the different parts of the mets talk to each other 
You know, if you yeah. know that Jeff Wilpon went out there and said all the things he said, and you're in ticket sales as the director or manager, or whatever. Hey, everybody, take the afternoon off. Yeah, go home, enjoy yourselves, <laughs> get let drunk on me. Just, right? Yeah, let every, let everybody let it all sink in. Get back at it tomorrow. But you know, don't don't reach out right then. But that's where it, you know, if they do talk to each other, then they thought this was a great thing and. Um, you know, they need, they need some like fan consultants. We are available for a low, low price. Yeah. But free S- on the internet. Still too, mu- still too much. <laughs> um, I mean, even, and I, I, I say this, um, I want to word this. I, I don't want to word this incorrectly. Go for it, Chris. Come on. But the Matt Cerrone wrote something up that was pretty much a hundred percent critical. And I think a lot of the time he gets too much shit from people for being, you know, a shill and you're employed by the network that the team essentially owns and all that. I think he probably takes too much heat for that, um, you know, based on his approach to it all. But it's similar to what I said about myself at the beginning of this segment. You know, when when you're losing people who have tried to be even keeled uh, and, and tried to be patient and giving you the benefit of the doubt most of the time, you're doing something wrong. Does it seem to anybody else like they don't want to own a baseball team? Uh, <laughs> maybe a little. Like they, they don't want to give up owning a baseball team, but if they were just, if they didn't have one, they wouldn't be actively pursuing one right now. <laughs> yeah, let me rephrase it. They like being owners of the baseball team, but they don't want to run the baseball team. And they have the opportunity to not run it. That's that's the frustrating part, is that in a normal circumstance, there are owners that aren't involved in day-to-day stuff. But the Wilpons want it both ways. They both want to be shitty and involved. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well put. <laughs> Well, let's, let's, let's close out today's super fun podcast. We've talked about the Mets' great system and their fabulous owners. <laughs> uh, now let's talk about another organization that is, that is working its, its hardest to do the absolute best job it can, uh, and that is the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame Museum. Today, the, uh, it was announced that four players are headed to Cooperstown. Chipper Jones, Vladimir Guerrero, Jim Tomei, and Trevor Hoffman. I don't think that anyone on this podcast has a real problem with at least three of those four players. Um, but before we talk about sort of the, the problems in the process and the folks that were left off, what do you guys think of these uh, these four players? Steve, we'll start with you. Uh, they all deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I have no uh, problems with that. You know, Chipper Jones was he was Chipper Jones, but he was a good player. And he was seemingly, for the most part, a good guy, you know, quote-unquote, off the field. So, you know, he's not going to lose points for that. Vladimir Guerrero, same thing. He was a great player. Tomei, great player. Um, Trevor Hoffman, you know, a lot of people are a little iffy because he's a closer, you know, only pitches one inning, more or less. And a lot of his stats were just kind of eh, and he, he accrued so much just by playing for so long but as you know the original 
God, it hit like the 500 save plateau and the 600 save plateau. I think he's at number two in total saves for baseball history. You got to have him in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and and, and just to, to to jump in here for one second, I don't understand why people are so mad at players for doing the job they're assigned. Like DHs, people always say, well, they only played half the game. Well, their team only asked them to play half the game. They can't be like, all right, I'm DH, but I'm also playing left field. That's not what happens. You play the position you're given. And for closers, I'm sure there are lots of guys that would rather have pitched for two innings. But they were assigned in the 90s to be closers, and that meant you throw three outs worth of baseball, and that's it. So It's it's funny. Uh, Steve mentioning earlier the anti-reliever bias in, <laughs> or anti-reliever rules in the, on the prospect side. Mm-hmm. And I, I think my, uh, my brand... Uh, has been to you know take a liking to relief pitchers who may or may not be good over the years. <laughs> uh, Manny Acosta, I will defend those good seasons he had with the Mets forever. Hansel um, Robles. Yeah, well, it, 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 let, let's let's revisit that whole thing in, in the, at the end of March. <laughs> but Hoffman, uh, objectively, like I don't actually disagree with anything, Steve, uh, that you're saying. Uh, but I'm like on that side of like, eh, and I think part of the frustration for me, it, it, it's not, you know, coming from that angle that like, oh, just a closer, you know, just whatever. Like to me, the, once it became part of the game, put the best guys who have ever done it, uh, you know, in the hall of fame for doing it that well. And Hoffman was solid. I think it's just that from my perspective, he's, sort of emblematic of the guy who, you know, played for a long time, played well, uh, you know, was really dominant at, at some, you know, different points of his career. Really, like, very good most of the time, absolutely lights out some of the time. And then just kind of lasted long enough and was good enough. But I I think that general concept is frustrating me with the Hall a little bit more now. Uh and and I'm getting to a point where, and especially having gone back for the first time in a long time, um, and it's a few summers ago now, but the museum is really awesome. I'm starting to care less and less about whose plaques are on the wall in the actual like Hall of Fame part of it. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think there's different ways to go about it, and Hoffman is uh, is that type of guy who stuck around for a very long time, but I don't think that should be a prerequisite for getting in. So I might be taking out some of that general frustration on him specifically. Uh, and Billy Wagner, and not even so much because of what he did with the Mets. Like, he, you know, uh, most of the time, uh, people like to bring up the postseason uh, stuff with him, and rightfully so. But, you know, most of the time for the Mets, he was good. But uh, it, it, that's... Wagner to me is somebody who's not coming from a Met fan perspective because he did so much with other teams. Yep. Um, including one team that I really hate. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I look at him and I, I just go, well, he was better. He didn't, he didn't play for as long, but he was better. Um, and there's just this vast difference in the, you know, the perception of these guys. Do you so think that's because, that, that's my rant. Do you think that's because uh, Hoffman had better closer music? Uh, what did Hoffman come into? Hell's Bells. Hell's Bells, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. 
You know, I was still mad at Hoffman for blowing the save in the All Star game too. That might be a part of it. Back <laughs> when, back when it counted, two thousand six, right? Yeah, yeah. This time yeah. it counts. Yep. Uh, it, uh, part of that era. Uh, the, the <laughs> and obviously the Mets fell short, but the fact that he cost the National League that All Star game uh, probably also has a little bit to do with what I'm saying. <laughs> um, that's my rant. <laughs> it's a good rant. Yeah, I have I have two two slight rants uh, that hopefully both will be addressed next year and won't be a big deal. Uh, I'm I'm pissed off that Edgar Martinez fell short this year. Yes, be- yes, yes, yes. Because yeah. Edgar Martinez is the best designated hitter in baseball history. Uh, I I will hear arguments for David Ortiz. I still think that Edgar Martinez is a better hitter than David Ortiz, but you know, I I can. I can debate that friendly, in a friendly manner with somebody. But to say Edgar Martinez doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame is absurd, and this is his penultimate year on the on the ballot. So he got over 70% of the vote, so hopefully that will be rectified in his last year on the ballot, and we can get past this silly excluding of DHs uh, on the ballot thing that has been happening. The other thing is, I don't know if you guys saw this, did you see that two ballots were lost in the mail this year? Yeah. One of uh, which was Adam Rubin, supposedly. Yes. Can we? Just, I actually did not see that. Yeah. Can we just talk about how fucking ridiculous that is? This is the <laughs> Maybe most. Maybe should use certified mail. Yes, or get out of the 19th century and let this happen in a way other than like they essentially xerox a piece of paper and send it to everybody with their name on it, and then only that xerox piece of paper, that exact one, can come back. It is. It is so archaic and dumb. <laughs> Two-touch verification, something. The fact that there are players who fell off the well, ballot yeah. because they theoretically didn't have two additional votes. I mean, that I don't, I don't know if that happened actually this year. But the fact that that could happen, that that's a legitimate possibility. People's election or falling off the ballot could honestly and very easily be caused by two people's ballots not getting in. That's absurd. Shame on the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, two-step verification might be uh, ten steps ahead of where they are. Oh, yeah, exactly. But at least have email verification. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, especially since the standard is that you're, you know, writing professionally uh, on a full-time basis with the Writers Association for a long time. Um, You know, I mean, obviously there are exceptions. Some guys are going to be doing stuff on more of a freelance basis. Yeah. but I would be willing to wager that 90% of the voter pool has an email address with the publication's domain name on it. Yeah. Like, it, you know, back when Facebook was only for EDUs. <laughs> you're you're aging yourself again here, Chris. I know. I know. What's Do those still exist? Those, the, the people still have email addresses at college, right? Yeah, I, I hope. think so. So, yeah. Uh, but the, just the most basic thing, like, oh, yeah, um, Adam Rubin's sort of an interesting case since you know he he's off the beat, but still, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's like the worst example for the problem I'm trying to solve here. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no, but I appreciate that. You know, I just think that it could be as simple as if you have I'm making up a number. If you have 250 voters and you get in 248 ballots, this is important enough, and the Hall of Fame is a paid staff that somebody should call Adam Rubin and say, "Hey, did you send in your ballot?" And if he says yes, he sent it on this date, it must be lost in the mail. 
Then have that person over the phone say, okay, who are you voting for? Done. Yeah. How, how, this, this won't take an afternoon. Come on, guys. <laughs> oh, boy. But Jack Morris, man. Oh, yeah. That is slightly dulled by having Alan Trammell go in, too. But. All right. This has been a depressing podcast, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and for a Mets podcast to admit to being depressing, you know it's it's really uh, it's really bleak this week. <laughs> I, I will say this: uh, if you're listening, Jeff Wilpon, please keep speaking every week uh, because so long as the entirety of baseball is not signing players, we need something to talk about. That is true. <laughs> that is true. So uh, we'll take that. This is going to be one of those seasons where there's going to be a superstar signed during spring training. Like a very yeah, big player. At this point, spring I Spring training I, starts in like six weeks. Not even, right? Yeah. yeah. Not even. Yeah, like the four pitchers and catchers. Yeah. We're like three weeks out from pitchers and catchers. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I know I've seen people, uh, you know, floating the concept of an all free agent team or two, uh, you know, being respectable major league teams. So maybe they, you know, call themselves the uh, the Stephen Drews, and uh, you know, form their own team. And I'm 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 quoting somebody's tweet here at this point. I just don't. I have no idea who it was, uh-huh. but somebody was saying they should, you know, form their own team and barnstorm the country and just, you know. <laughs> Go face everybody and 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 yeah, uh, so until then, there, there used to be a time that I would think that the minute we finished recording this podcast, fifty free agents would sign. I don't feel that way anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that this is a, this is kind of a fun place to end the converse, end today's conversation on. So we obviously don't have the numbers in front of us in terms of how many legitimate free agents are still out there. There's a lot. Do you think that this is going to be a season with more unintentional retirements than we've seen in the past? Or are all these guys going to come off the books at some point? Hmm. I could see a handful of kind of awkward scenarios. But my guess is that most of these guys end up somewhere. Um, You know, as spring training gets underway and injuries start to happen... Uh, you know, and the team caves and says, well, the insurance premium on that guy wasn't that high, so I guess we can sign you. <laughs> I I heard uh. a really interesting, weird scenario today, and I don't know if either of you guys are big fantasy baseball players, but they were saying this is going to fuck up the entire draft system for people because you don't want to draft a player that's not going to be signed someplace. And there are so many unsigned players right now that all these drafts are going to have to happen far later than they usually do. I mean, I think personally that it will be one of the most exciting things ever to see you, Darvish, starting for the Long Island Ducks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No better place to end than that. So uh, thank you for listening, folks. Go to AmazingAvenue.com. 
Check out Steve's and Greg's and Lucas's incredible work on the Top 25 Prospects. They put a ton of work into it, and uh, as I said, I recognize no other lists, so this is the this is the end-all, be-all for uh, minor league lists on the internet, so check them out, and uh, check out the rest of the stuff on Amazing Avenue as well. You can find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can get this show, the one you're listening to right now, at blogtalkradio.com on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, or on your podcatcher of choice. And please rate, review, and subscribe to it on uh, Apple Podcasts. That helps us in lots of ways. Uh, you can email the show, podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. You can leave us questions on Facebook, or you can tweet at the three of us individually. I am at Brian Needs a Nap, Chris is at Chris McShane, Steve is at Steve Saipa, and um, next week the Mets probably won't have signed anybody, but if they have... You'll hear about it on Amazing Avenue Audio. And so until next time, let's go Mets.